Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 52nd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, happy birthday to the podcast. Happy birthday to the podcast. Happy birthday, dear MNR cast. Happy birthday to the podcast. Do you ever think we'd make it this far? Uh, ever? At some point, I realized we were, but definitely not at the start. That's right. <laughs> what about you? Did you think we were going to make it here? I take everything almost one day at a time, man. Like, whatever happened, happened with the podcast. And thankfully, it's found a good listener base. Uh, Flesh and Blood continues to be a fun game, not ran by people who actively hate their fan base. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's worked out well so far, I would say. Yeah. Which is yeah. why uh, it's uh, time we've announced that we've had a good run. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we appreciate all the support over the, the past year. But uh, we're, we're done now, right, Michael? Yeah, we're, we're definitely done. Goodbye, everybody. I love you all. It was great. We're not done, right? Probably not. Okay. We can at least finish this episode. Okay. Wonderful. Great. What do you want to talk about on our one-year anniversary? So to celebrate, we wanted to look back and talk about some of our favorite episodes over the year. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the plan. That's what I have. I have a list of five episodes that I like very much that we recorded over the past year. This way people want to go back, they can record them or not record them, but people want to go back, they can listen to them. And if not, we can kind of have a good summary of the things we discussed, um, had it learned along the way and this our incredible journey of flesh and blood. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. That's, I got my list ready to go. Hopefully everybody can enjoy and go back and listen and some of these might have come out before some of our listeners started listening because they're not all not all mine are recent ones though a lot of them are yeah well that being said what's your what's the first episode you want to talk about that we that you really enjoyed over the past year so i think the one that i want to talk about is episode 47 we just did it it is wolfpack updates with zach Bine. i think well Actually, wait, I have an honorable mention that I forgot to talk about. Uh, oh, we're fine. Well, then do we're fine. Your, just... Okay. So my honorable mention would have made the list if it was allowed on the list, but I don't think it's allowed. But it's the first episode of the Manor University. It was, um, we covered the world finals match between me and Chris Yali. And on top of having a lot of like sentimental value to me, it was the moment I won worlds that we were reviewing and going over. It also just like, was when we started pushing and making more content for patrons and even some for general YouTube where we were starting Manor University and just going through and breaking down games. And I think that's like, we've kind of preached on the podcast or we kind of preached on the podcast that replay review is the best way to get better at the game. You should watch your replays and learn a lot from them and try to learn from your mistakes. And just like starting to create that content where we're going into reviews, breaking down gameplay decisions and just trying to help people get better I think that was like a pretty big step in terms of like what we were doing for the podcast. And that just like stands out as a monumental moment to me. Yeah, it was a good one. I wish I was as good as actually playing flesh and blood as I am like coming up with the lines and seeing through things as I am when we're like reviewing them on university. 
Uh, I don't know like what it is. Like when you sit down for a game of flesh and blood, you're just train of thought is just like, so concentrated. I feel like it's sometimes harder to see the bigger picture, but like when that pressure's off of you and you're just like evaluating things objectively and it's not like you in either seat, it's just like, Oh, well clearly this like seemed like a very right line to take here or like, it's not a hundred percent of the time. And obviously there are, there are gray areas, but it just feels like when the pressure's off, it's just so much easier to like just like see through like what does and doesn't matter sometimes. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think like that's why replay review is so so useful, so powerful because you can't you you won't see all those things in the game, and then when you stop and look at it afterwards, you kind of can see a lot more of the lines and see, and you can pause and take time when you're like relaxing at home or relaxing and don't have like a time pressure to make a play or anything and just kind of go back and be like hmm, what if i had done this instead and go through it and take as long as that takes and really like work through all the different possibilities and when you do that it i don't know you just like learn things from it and it's really useful i think for playing future games but yeah absolutely. maybe we should cover some of your games on university soon <laughs> i'd have to have some games Okay. Gotta record them. Oh yeah, I guess I could record random games. That's a thing I could do. That'd be a fun I episode. Could've, I could have put out my uh, cell phone while we were you were beating me up in our Pro Tour Baltimore uh, prep. <laughs> People could just like the V old time games. Yeah, the O the O and twelve or whatever I went in the two days before, and I still registered old him anyways because old times the most broken deck of all time. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if Luxie is the most broken deck of all time, but it probably, I, I, I would say Codex of Frailty might be the most broken card of all time. It's very, it's very I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I would like in Magic, we always knew like how good like reanimation was or, or taking something out of your graveyard and putting it back onto the battlefield to do stuff with. And we knew how good tutors were, which is like looking through your deck or picking a specific resource or a specific action for a very specific game state. And I don't know, in Flesh and Blood, it seems like the graveyard recursion of uh, Codex just seems to be maybe a bit too much, especially with the built-in card advantage that's going along with it. But I guess time will tell. Yeah, I... I really think that the graveyard recursion is not like, like it is very good. The fact that you're choosing whatever card from your discard pile to play again is strong, but like, I think it's only slightly better than tutoring through your deck for any card, which it is better, but like it's, I guess it's basically what it is. You can choose any of the attacks that you've played and that's part of why it's powerful, it. but you're, I think you, you're not too yeah. attacked with it. So that's fair. But I, I do think what is most powerful about it is just like, the fact that you get whatever attack you want and you're getting a plus value exchange where you're getting this ponder token and you're not discarding a card because you play it on an empty hand. So you go, you, you trade it for two cards. You trade one card for two cards. You get to get whichever card you want. And also your opponent gets a frailty token on top of that, which like sometimes doesn't matter, but sometimes it's worth like one to three extra points. Yeah, absolutely. So just very powerful. And I don't remember exactly how we got here. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that being said, uh, I think it's a good card, but it's uh, not built around the most busted mechanic of all time, which was Spectra, which we talked about in great length <laughs> on episode 27 with Joshua Scott, 
the head rules and policy advisor uh, for uh, LSS. And that was a great episode. We got talked a lot about the nuances, kind of the differences that um, go on between competitive players and like the whole judging community. Um, Because obviously you have to be really smart and engaged with the community to do either, but they kind of branch off and have their very like important differences. And it's just always nice to just shine a spotlight on the judging community because they're so vital to us all playing flesh and blood in general. So, and that the cherry on top was Josh Scott was actually a really cool guy and he gave us chocolate. So, you know, win, win. <laughs> he, he did give us chocolate. What do you, what his episode have still made your list if he did not give us chocolate? I would have been close. Okay. okay. I would have been close. I, I think that episode was, I also really liked that episode. I, I'm always a little bit out of my comfort zone when we have guests on here. Like normally I'm just talking to you. It's great. But sometimes we have guests on and I'm like, Ooh, another person, what do I do? But Josh was a really good guest. I think he did a great job, like kind of bring to light some things about judging and like the rules in the game that were really cool and interesting to me. And I think that was a great episode. Like you said, bring light to the judge community. Awesome. Because judges work really hard. They're the reason we can play the, tournaments that we love to play and so yeah yeah oh but then uh we can go back and cover what was your first like a real not honorable mention then it yeah it was the the wolfpack updates with zach bun episode 47 i oh yeah that guy think <laughs> so zach again you just said you don't uh, like guest episodes and here you are mentioning a guest episode i know i know this is the only one that made my list so spoilers but okay, okay. uh zach Zach, this was our first and so far only second or recurring guest where we actually had him on. I think it was episode 12. I went back and looked, but it was like really early on when we had him on the first time. But he is a very good guest. I think he tells really good stories. And Zach is actually somebody that I do feel comfortable having on because I consider him a really good friend now. And I think just talking about him, talking through Wolfpack stuff, it felt really cool to hear all of his stuff. And I think like, it kind of shines a light to behind the scenes what is going on in the wolf pack for our listeners. And they kind of like find out what our daily life of flesh and blood is like. And I think that's something that like without him having on, I think it might be kind of hard to really go into details. And well, it was a lot easier when he was here to just talk about that kind of stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that episode. So it made my list number five. Yeah. I think what's interesting every time I go to like a tournament with Zach and stuff like that is that obviously he's like a pretty well-known content creator. So when hanging around him is always interesting because like he's getting people coming up saying like, oh, I really like the Team Covenant stuff. And then we're getting people harassing us, asking us to sign babies. Harassing. Or you you sign the baby uh, (sighs) for uh, liking our content that we very much appreciate and love and don't consider harassment at all. And... Yeah, it's just like because when we first started, like when I first met Zach, I was I was the fan going up to him and being like, "Hey, I really like your stuff." Just so you know, and uh, I'm sorry I brought Michael Hamilton into the game. Uh, he's very good, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, oh, okay, well, nice to meet you." And that was kind of it. And then, yeah, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rest is history. Zach's a great guy, though. What's your next yeah. episode? Uh our beginner budget decks and i think our budget decks are still good uh overall 
I guess the little minnowism Phi probably can't be uh, played anymore. So we'll probably revisit them again in the future. But I think it's important to recognize that not everybody is going to just like always want to or be able to like afford the perfect versions of all the tier one competitive decks, but they still want to play flesh and blood and they still want to have a good time and not get beat up all the time. And so um, when we asked for ideas for episodes, that one was pretty high on the top of the list for what people wanted to see. So I was happy or we were happy to like oblige them and try to think things through. And yeah, um, I just thought the decks that we put out were pretty good. Um, I hope that if anybody actually did put them together, build them or play them in some armories, I think I hope they did well with them. And uh, and it, despite the little minimalism fight still not being like a, a playable anymore either Fi seems to have done pretty well at the pro tour it's kind of a small sample size but maybe a kind of a dark horse in the format so who knows yeah that that's definitely um so if I, if I doing well at the pro tour that i think is interesting because i think Fi is very good into old time right now with without winner's whale without uh like old time's just a lot worse against Fi because you can't really fatigue him because he has like shuko phoenix flame stuff and his average value damage per turn is still like regionally higher than what old time can typically block in a game. Plus it's spread out with like Phoenix flames going on. And I think like his matchup into Lexi probably isn't amazing, but it really depends on the Lexi build. And he does have additional blocking armor compared to Katsu with the flame scale furnace being able to and technology like breaking point, I think would be, I don't know how played that was at the Pro Tour, but it seems like an interesting card. We saw, you know, obviously Mara using it against Brody to good effect. So Breaking Point seems like a pretty good card against uh, Lexi specifically. Yeah, definitely. And it blocks for three. So when you can't really keep a hand that goes four wide to use it, you can always just block with it. Lexi's going to give you plenty of great opportunities to block with your three blocks. Yeah. And Fi has good blocking armor overall because of Flame Scale Furnace, Tiger, Stripe, Shuko. Like it's a lot of two blocks on the armor. And then usually uh, Snapdragon Scalers don't block, but there's definitely lots of blocking armor available to him for him being an aggressive deck. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see how Fi does in a field of Lexi and Oldheim and Dromai. Because I think, like, if Oldheim and Dromai are both, like, very good matchups for you, which I think that's pretty common consensus that Fi beats up Dromai, and I, I believe Fi beats up Oldheim pretty badly. So, like, as if you can you get your Lexi well, matchup yeah. to even, like, 45-55, Fi seems like a great choice. So, yeah. I guess we'll have to see um, how Road speaking... to Nats turn out, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Go true. Ahead, so... Speaking on your budget decks, I think I talked about a Lexi deck on that episode. And like, oh, I don't know if you can build, I don't think you can build Lexi very budgety anymore. Codex of Frailty is like a million dollars. Premeditate or Art of War, whichever route you go, is also like a million dollars. So, you, I mean, I shouldn't say you can't build Lexi budget. You can definitely still play a budget version of Lexi, but like a lot of the cards that you'll want to include in the deck have, yeah, even the cards that are new that are, or that aren't new, that were cheap before, a lot of them have gone up significantly since Lexi became a tier one deck. Yeah, because you still need New Horizons in any build of Lexi. And let me check. I think that card's like Not Death insanely Dealer. expensive. Not Death Dealer, but uh, let's check here. I guess the, the Ice version of Lexi is probably pretty cheap. The Gotal Ice Death Dealer deck. Yep, $200. Cheapest copy on TCG. For, right for New Horizons. Yeah, for Rainbow Foil. Oof. 
Cars expensive now. So Lexi is now right. expensive because you not only need uh, New Horizon, you also need Findel Spring Tunic for the most, most competitive versions of Lexi. So $400, two cards. Not very budget. <laughs> yeah, fair. So we'll have, to, we'll have to go back and revisit the, the budget decks at some point. Um, I also wanted to say that I did look at some of our analytics before coming on this episode while I was like looking at and deciding what episodes to choose. So, so I wanted to see what, what episodes like resonated with the community and stuff, what episodes stood out, what episodes got like a lot of people watched, I guess. And that one did like surprisingly mm-hmm. well too. So uh, it's a good episode. Okay. I'm glad you agree. Was it on your list? <laughs> it was not. It was not. But Look my list has I'm, a lot I'm of glad we actually have different episodes my so favorites. <laughs> okay. I mean, I personally like all my episodes too. I personally like Josh. I guess, I guess I that's the point of the thing. I personally like Zach, but <laughs> I talk to Zach all the time. I've only talked to Josh a handful of times. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay, my next, next episode, episode, number four, the... Or it was episode 38, but number four on my list was the 1,000 subscriber special. So this was a huge benchmark. We hit 1,000 subscribers. It was like kind of our goal for a long time was to get to 1,000 subscribers because it seemed like it was like a nice extra digit, one more digit of subscribers. It felt like, I don't know, a level of legitimacy to me. And we kind of talked about it a little bit on that episode, but that was really cool when we finally hit that number and we got to do that episode. And it came honestly faster than I expected it to. And... Our growth since that episode has been crazy too. We're like almost to fifteen hundred subscribers now, so it's been fourteen weeks since then. So our subscriber growth has been pretty high too. But anyway, so it was a huge benchmark. It also happened to fall right after uh, the calling Indianapolis, which went really well for me. So extra, I don't know, just uh, felt really good after that tournament. It was doing good, and then. One thing that I liked about that episode that I didn't realize until, again, I was looking at the analytics is that was our most commented video. We had 55 comments on that video and it was like by far the video that has the most comments. And it was really cool seeing like we like interviewed each other and we talked about just like our lives basically. And it seemed like the audience really engaged with that. All of our community like commented and said nice things. And they seemed to like an episode where we kind of got into we kind of got to know, get to know each other, or let the audience know each other. Cause some of the questions we talked about, that was the episode where we interviewed each other about things. I hope I'm not going in circles, <laughs> but we talked to each other. We asked a bunch of questions and just kind of gave the audience more of a look into our lives. And it was a, it was a really fun episode to do. And I think the audience really engaged with it as well. Let me know, let me know in the comments, I guess, if you didn't like that episode, but I think, that was a really good one. Or unsubscribe yeah. and put us back below a thousand subscribers, ah, and then we'll have to redo this a thousand subscribe. That would be a lot of unsubscribes. I wonder if I'm the first person on YouTube to ask people, please unsubscribe, don't comment, and unclick the bell. <laughs> Wait, isn't unclicking the bell the same as unsubscribing? No, no, no. So you have to subscribe and click the bell because if you just subscribe, you don't get notifications. But if you subscribe and click the bell, that's like a double subscribe whammy where not only will it appear in your subscriptions feed, but you'll get the YouTube bell notification when they upload or do things. You're not oh, a big YouTuber, I don't know if I've I see. ever clicked the bell. I spend like a reasonable amount of time on YouTube and I'm subscribed to like some channels, but I don't 
I don't think I've ever clicked the bell. Actually, <laughs> I thought you're not directly supporting your favorite subscribers the the best way possible. Wait, does clicking the bell actually like it matters. do things? It counts for more engagement. Uh, I should go click some bells. You should. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? But yeah, one K <laughs> subscriber was actually on my list as well. It was a good episode. Nice. Uh, not the most flesh and blood related, but you know, can't be all flesh and blood all the time. Even for our one year anniversary, it's not directly about flesh and blood. I guess kind of in a meta level, it's mostly about flesh and blood. So if we're talking about podcasts about flesh and blood, it's kind of like flesh and blood related still though, right? Like this episode? Yeah. It's like flesh and blood meta kind of. No, it's not. Meta, meta has a meaning. Meta has a meaning, which is like what. Yeah, Jackson meta has a lot of meanings. Like, I mean, in, in terms of flesh and blood, when you're saying the flesh and blood meta, the meta game of flesh and blood, that is different yeah, from what we the were flesh talking and blood about. Meta we're talking is about different the from the meta, meta flesh and blood. No, we're talking about the podcast. The order in which the meta Wait, that's goes. not even the podcast meta. It's just the podcast. It's the oh, gosh, I'm in flesh and blood podcast meta. Yes, which is very different from the flesh and blood meta. Yeah, but if the flesh and blood podcast meta is talking about the flesh and blood meta, there we go. We did it. Sometimes you ask these questions that feel like a little bit circular in nature, and I don't really know how to respond. I'm just like, okay. That's the point. That's the fun. That's why I'm excited to go to law school, buddy. And uh, on that note, this feels oddly reminiscent of my next favorite episode, which is the riveting pivoting episode where we go. (laughs) That was like my least favorite episode of all time. It's my favorite episode. But one of my favorite episodes now, clearly. It's so good because it's, it's pivots clearly exist in flesh and blood. We all know what a flesh and blood pivot is now, all clearly, by a standardized definition that we helped hammer out. And yeah, it was a good time as I tried to uh, educate you on something in flesh and blood. And we talked a lot about uh, how to create pivot turns in flesh and blood. Uh, yeah, we kind we kind of did. <laughs> I kind of got educated. I still felt pretty confused by the end of the episode. <laughs> and, oh gosh, yep, that was sure an episode we did. That was like, I think if I had to rank all fifty two episodes that we've done, I think that might be fifty seconds. So I'm glad. That's crazy. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Oh. I think like episodes like three through nine we're probably all be like my episode one it only gets the past because it's like the first episode so sentimental i guess but like the recording quality was so bad on our initial episodes we obviously didn't have video going we just we didn't know what we were doing it was just i felt like those episodes were just very challenging uh overall so i'm not super happy with them in hindsight but like we made them they're there yeah, yeah. Fair. I think the only one we even talk about a lot very much is uh, the top 10 cards of all time. But we kind of did a good refresh on that anyways over the next year or so. Wait, what do you mean? On the over and underrated cards, basically. So. Oh. What are we at? Number number three. Okay. Go my it. number three was my the... Yeah. The Wounded Bull Ice Center deep dive episode. It was episode 19. This came right after U.S. Nationals. Um, this was like, it felt like this was kind of when our podcast took off, when we like got a when lot you started of new. <laughs> 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 we 
more things I should say. You'd already won two callings, but winning US Nats kind of cemented our trajectory on the upward spiral. That that did help. But we got a lot of a lot of additional audience members. It also was kind of when you put in a lot of work to like clean up some of the stuff around the episode. I think that was when we got our new the fire intro on the YouTube video and you did some other work around then too. So that was just like I think it's like not even the episode itself that stood out. It was just like a lot of the things around the episode, like all the audio improvements, winning nationals, the amount of viewers that we gained from it. And just like kind of the first time we really did a deep dive on a deck as well. So yeah, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun episode and just happened at a, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Now you're talking, you don't, you don't care about the meta of the episode. You care about the meta of the meta of, for the f- meta flesh and blood, right? How many layers of meta are we talking about? It's only it's only two, well, actually, if you like go to like what that episode was about, it was about like the the, the actual meta of Flesh and Blood. So mm-hmm. like this is the meta of the podcast about an episode that was about the meta of Flesh and Blood. So like three metas, right? There's at least two levels of meta, potentially three layers there. Yeah, because I think it's the third level of meta because you like the things surrounding. You like the meta surrounding the uh, podcast as we discuss the meta of our podcast that discuss the meta of flesh and blood. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. So it is three layers <laughs> of meta going on here. So. Okay. Yep. Can't argue with that logic. That's for sure. <laughs> What's your next one? Uh, this was kind of cheating. It's uh, I, And I just kind of briefly alluded to it, which was over rated cards i picked that one over underrated cards i kind of prefer overrated cards a little bit because um i think the points that i made were really poignant in like going back to what we said on like the very first episode which was like sink below is the best card in the game most decks always just include three copies of sink below you know as a default but the point i made on that episode was like um i don't think that that's right and just because uh, like sync below is still a very good card and if the actual rate at which sync below should be played is like 90 percent in decks and it's played at like 99 percent of decks that still means it's an overrated card that's put in too many decks so um, i was really proud of that point i felt like i communicated it well communicated it well i feel like when i first brought up sync below you're like you're crazy and then i felt like actually by the end of it i was able to lay out enough points in my argument that you agreed with me so i was like hell yeah we did it yeah, I think the biggest one that stood out to me that we talked about with that point was that like even if Sync Below should be in your deck, you should be like selective about what matchups you're boarding it in. And like people like some some decks I agree that three sync below should be in the deck. But then like some of the matchups that you bring in the three sync belows in, I was like, you probably shouldn't bring them in there. And that happens like all the time when people have sync below in their deck. And like most decks probably should have sync below, but like that doesn't mean you should play it at every matchup. That means there's like in these matchups, if it doesn't fit your plan, if it's not important in this specific, like the way the matchup plays out, you should be sideboarding it out or not playing, not presenting it as part of the 60% some matchups. And that that point really kind of resonated with me. And I, I definitely did agree with you that Sick Blow qualified as overrated by the end of your conversation there, or by the end of that conversation. I think oh, yeah, dude. That, that, that episode was also on my list as well. I think like, I talked about going over analytics and this episode did really well on the analytics as well. And I think one thing that kind of cemented it for me as one of my favorite episodes was 
your spiel about Crown of Providence at the end where you're like, Crown of Providence, overrated and stuff. And then just during the Pro Tour, we saw Mara get second with no Crown of Providence and playing Arcane Skull or Arcanite Skullcap. So yeah, Crown of Providence was, was, you know, very similar to like the simple argument where it's just like, yeah, like it's a very good card, very powerful piece of equipment, but there are situations in which you will want to block on hits potentially frequently throughout a game and you'll want Skullcap. And we saw Mara do really well. Yeah. I don't know if you said this when you first brought up the episode, but it was episode 41. So in case anybody wanted to go back and take a look at that. Yeah. And then 40 was uh, underrated cards. Yep. Yep. I don't remember that one as well. I don't don't remember it as well either. I don't even remember what I said was underrated anymore. Oh, Enchanting Melody. That's right. (laughs) Oh, no. That's right. Enchanting Melody is going to matter. Dust Till Dawn, the ward, all the ward matters cards are coming. Mm-hmm. You know, I if think you I think about it, Enchanting Melody is really just like a cleaner version of Soraya, right? They both have Ward, ward 4, but you can play Enchanting Melody, you don't need a Spectral Shield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Soraya being able to attack, just completely irrelevant. <laughs> completely irrelevant. Enchanting Melody cannot attack. Soraya yeah, I don't can't see, attack. I don't see any other lines of text on either of those cards other than Ward 4, you know? Yep, yep. How much does Soraya cost? Also, it's like four, right? Instead of two. I think it's two. Is it four? I don't know. It's not a real card yet, so I don't know anything about it. Wait. Oh, it's not like a played card. We gotta wait for Dust Till Dawn. Oh yeah, I guess Soraya it's like a. I guess it's a real card, but it's not like a a real card, you know. Yeah. Is uh, what's Bolton's little gem called? Spirit of Spirit Era. Arena? Is that a real card? That's a totally real card. <laughs> okay. I mean, because it's playable and a hero in Classic Constructed that you can put it in your deck and play it and have to think about it. Like, when it, like I haven't had to think about a Light Illusionist at all since Prism rotated. So the, that, them adding a Light Illusionist card in a set at Legendary was just, like, weird. Sure, sure. That, that makes sense. Like, it probably would have made more sense to maybe give Arachne something more like another Arachne playable legendary card or something like that. Maybe a second specialization or even, I don't know, but like, and just save the light angel for dust of dawn. But I don't know. I don't design sets. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. Okay. But that's it. I think that's all of our episodes then. I got one more. All of our, you you do, you have one more, you hid one. Yeah. No, I, I didn't hide it. I I've done four. You've done five because we had overlap on two of them, and I started with my honorable mention. Uh, that's right. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. So the last one is the World Champ Icelander Deck Tech. Okay, now you might have noticed a brief pause in uh, or a weird shift in the audio or faces if you're watching the video. That's because Roger made a joke that we had to cut. Not appropriate at all, but Me? my number one. Make an inappropriate joke <laughs> that we had to cut out of a podcast? <laughs> Don't believe it. Never happens. <laughs> so uh my last episode is the world champ Icelander deck tech episode 29 so this one we actually took a while after worlds before we did this episode we didn't do it right away even um but this was like the first i shouldn't say the first episode but everybody really wanted a cyborg guide for Icelander. i'm like i don't do cyborg guides cyborg guides suck because everything changes so instead 
we kind of did an episode where I could go into all the caveats with, I'm like, this is how I currently sideboard, but this would change if so-and-so happens. And that was a fun episode to do both because like it was what we were asked for a lot of times. And like people really just wanted to know how to sideboard with the Icelander deck. Cause it's like not a very easy deck to play. And if you're trying to figure out how to sideboard with it and, and you're trying to figure out how to play it at the same time, it's just, it's asking a lot. So we did this episode. It was what a lot of people would ask for. And it basically had twice as many views as our second most popular episode. So this, I, I felt like it would be weird not to put this episode on the list. Even like, I think it, I kind of talked about it earlier that I was a little bit biased. A lot of these episodes happened around like major milestones for me in my flesh and blood career where after worlds, that's like, I don't know. That's like a moment that like changed my life significantly. So um yeah i wanted to put it on the list and then the audience also loved it they had twice many views their next episode we talked about the Icelander deck i played at worlds all the sideboarding decisions about how some of the decisions would change if after after worlds or because of x things or if their deck had different things and i got to put all those caveats in what essentially was just like a long big sideboarding guide and yeah i the episode will forever have a special place in my heart because I don't know. It was our most popular episode and it was right after worlds, which mattered a lot to me. And I got to talk about my favorite deck. Fair enough. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I wish Icelander was still playable. Do you think even Codex if they had banned hypothermia, like No, it's like, Codex of Frailty. I don't even think you ban Codex of Frailty and you can play Icelander. Kind of. Like, You'll still have a bad Lexi matchup, but Lexi will be worse because she'll be worse against everything else. Well, just uh, if we went the opposite direction, though, like if they unban hypothermia, Icelander still wouldn't be favored in the Lexi, right? No, it would help because Lexi would not be able to just take a bunch of damage and present a big hand back as often because sometimes you just get hypothermia. But I don't think it would solve the issues that you currently have playing against Lexi, which is when you disrupt her, she can just set up and because Voltaire's disruption. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have a way to get rid of New Horizon. If you could kill New Horizon somehow, then that would fix the matchup too. I think like New Horizon, pretty good card. And Tumultai is a big part of the recent drama is okay in Alexi. Yeah. And uh, people really hated the Ban Voltaire take. Let me tell you. I don't think I've heard a single person on the social medias. Everybody on the team thinks I'm a crazy person. Uh, everybody hates the entire idea around banning Voltaire, but I'm still, I still think they should ban Voltaire, but people like Lexi, she has been bad for a long time. And even when she was bad, people tried to make her work. I guess she wasn't bad. I I feel like she wasn't even bad before outsiders came out, but outsiders did make her very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I just think Voltaire is a messed up card, but I guess we'll have to see. I'm getting more on board with the banning of a three of a kind, though, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, because against the aggressive old times, like three of a kind is always like how you get back in the game that it feels like you're losing. You have to block with two cards over and over again to stop these crush effects. And then one turn, you just go block with two cards, pitch a blue, play three of a kind, fire two arrows, and arsenal a card. Like Very strong. Yeah. Just the amount of like raw pullback it gets there is kind of like not fair 
I guess, the more I think about it. But, you know, apparently she has really bad matchups somewhere in the meta. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Here's a question I've been thinking in my mind. Everybody else in the room is registering Lexi. What deck do you take? Uh, Uzuri. Okay. The reason Uzuri is unplayable is because she can't ever beat Old Time and she can't ever beat Dromai. But her Lexi matchup is actually good if you can build your deck to just like have the best 60 cards against Lexi. Okay. So if everyone else is on Lexi, I'm playing Uzuri. I think Uzuri kind of is bad, but you can build her to have a good Lexi matchup. What do you think that win rate is, though? You think it's like 80%? Um, Probably. That's very good. If you're going to play like, because like, you get to play infinite frailty cards, including Codex of Frailty. Frailty Trap is also insane against Lexi. Um, you have good blocking equipment. Not good blocking equipment. Like reasonable I was about to say, equipment. when did Uzuri get good blocking equipment? I missed that part. Reasonable blocking equipment. And then Spider Spite's actually good against Lexi because currently the Lexi builds don't have any non-attacks that block for three. So Spider Spite does mean everything's going to block for two, except I guess if they're on Channel Lake Frigid, but that's not a very common Lexi card, I guess. It's not unheard of, but yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I, I'm skeptical, I would, but I could believe you. I I, th- I think we could get Uzuri to have a 80% win rate against Lexi with, if you don't have to p- give any respect to the other heroes that your deck cannot function against, like Dromai and Oldheim. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, like the voting slots beating Dromai and Oldheim as Uzuri doesn't seem like it's going to increase your win rate by that much anyway. So like maybe you should just play the optimal 60 against Lexi and then make your other matchups that aren't Uzuri or aren't Dromai and Oldheim as good as possible if you want to play Uzuri. But that's yeah. where I'm at right now. This said, I've played like two games of the CC Uzuri. So who knows? <laughs> and then I wish Arachne was good. Remember when they made Arachne? Yeah, that, that was, was cool. good. It was a new hero. It was a good time. Yeah, a new class. It was so exciting. <laughs> There's only three good contract cards though. And like, and that's like, pushing it with Eradicate. Two good contract like, cards and Eradicate. Does like Arachne's hero about ability even like matter with contract cards? Like, let's say there were like more good contract cards. Do you like just zero for fours that block three that go again contract or something like that? Do you think like oh go again? Yeah, we're getting zero for four go again. I mean, give me some Arachne. Yeah, I mean, because that's the biggest thing holding back Arachne, right? Is just like no action points. Yeah, it's tough. I shouldn't say the biggest thing, but it's one. It's definitely one of the things holding back Arachne is that there's just there's just no there's no action points anywhere, and it's just like how do you use your cards? And then Arachne goes, I don't know, swing a spider's bite, I guess, and then threaten to banish a card from your deck and decks. So like, okay, I'll take four damages. You can banish a card, and then I'll five card twenty five you, and then they're like, oh, I'm sad. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say like the weapon is Arachne's biggest weakness because Arachne, like Uzuri kind of cares about the weapon. Like she's trying to push through these on hits and like it's bad in some matchups, but other matchups it's passable. Arachne's game plan doesn't make sense with Spider's Bite, basically. It's like this weapon that makes them unable to block them, that makes your opponent unable to block them. And Arachne doesn't care if you block them if you're blocking their on hits from your contract cards contract cards with no either way they're getting the card yeah yeah so arachne doesn't care if you block them because they're not pushing through disruption on a lot of their attacks so if you just block arachne then they're just like oh 
okay, that's fine. I got through two cards, and now you're not going to five-card 25 me. But you spider bite him, and then you play your, what's it called, Annihilate the Armed or whatever, and, and then your opponent's like, I don't want to block you anyway. I'll take six, vanish a card yeah. from the top of my deck, and then mm. they kill you. You did it. You make <laughs> a silver. Enjoy it. <laughs> Spider's Bite doesn't help at all with that plan. So No. I don't know. Eventually, hopefully, maybe they make Arachne good. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried that like even if they print good contract cards, they'll probably just work better in Usury because Usury has shakedown and Usury has a kind of just like strong. Usury cares about stealth inherently, not contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even like you lose out on Arachne's hero power of looking at the top of their deck and putting it on top or bottom when you play a contract card, but the contract cards are like not very much worse in Usury than they are in Arachne, and Usury has access to Shakedown, which is like a very, very powerful card, I think. Yeah. So. I just had a revelation, and I realized the other big problem with Arachne's card pool is that Arachne has zero for fours and one for fives. There's no two mm-hmm. for sixes. There's no good, mm-hmm. like, really powerful, like, big attacks in Assassin. I get that it's kind of, like, unflavorful, but then you look at a card like Shakedown, which is a two for six, and it's like, <laughs> what? I just, yeah. like, I just think, like, even, like, having more two for sixes would help out Assassin a lot, because if they're trying to push these on hits that are cool and do things, then, like, let them pummel it, you know? Yeah, or or, or even three for sevens in Arachne would be good, because they're, like... Sure. Three for seven contract. Getting more, yes, getting more of the deck. Um, and Arachne doesn't want to pitch a whole card to play a one cost or even play a spider's bite in a one one for five. That's just like one less damage than a three for seven would be and not pummelable, which not great. So yeah. I don't know. I think that Arachne's card pool needs help. And I guess like if they get some good specializations, that would be a reason to play them over Uzuri. But I think without any like specializations. Regicide? Beat up on the royal viscerize. Yeah, like Regicide. <laughs> like why? Like it's such a good flavor card. Like the flavor on that card is is really good. So yeah, but, but they're just missing good specializations. To, that's the reason you'd play them over Uzuri. And Uzuri is not a deck you can really play right now. And Old Time and Dromai are a big portion of the metagame. Well, I shouldn't say you can't play it, but you can't. Like when we were playing Old Time at pt2 it was so good into everything that it was not named prism you were like 50 50 into guardians you're favored into like everything else and then you could never beat prism and it was always kind of like that but probably less favored into the agridex and just as bad into old time and dromai and that's two decks that you're really bad against and old time and dromai aren't like awful into the agridex we think they're unfavored but it's not like it's not like Prism. I guess like Prism into the Agridex wasn't that bad for Prism either. Like we still saw Prism beat Briar some of the time. But anyway, I think it's really tough to bring it through to a tournament right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. And it's not going to any easier with Prism around the corner. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Maybe we'll get a maybe we'll get a Shadow Assassin in Dust Till Dawn and get some new Assassin cards. No Shadow Wizard, Shadow Wizard. Sh- Ooh, say with I'm me. down for a new Shadow Wizard. Shadow Wizard. I'm down for a new Wizard. I like Wizards. Yeah. Shadow Runeblade, Shadow Wizard, Light Illusionist, Light Warrior. And then you go. There's no limited format either, so you don't have to worry about putting Wizard and Illusionist in the same format. I guess like they did that with 
outsider, not outsiders, uprising too, and that was fine. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. And the set's pretty big, right? It's a fairly large set, so I mean, like they could even they could like. I wonder how many new light and shadow class combinations they'll actually go with, because like if they wanted to, like what if like they just put a light and shadow of each class in the whole game? Okay. In the set? That's a lot. That's a That'd lot of new things all at once. I don't. I don't think they can introduce like thirteen new heroes in a set or twelve or however many classes we have. That just seems like so much. Why? They just wouldn't. I guess they wouldn't have the support. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess they could. I think I agree with you. The more I think about it, it was a novel idea that I had for a second. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than four. But yeah, I think 13 is probably too many. Maybe maybe six. Six is vibing with me at the moment. How do you feel about six? Six hero and class, or six, uh, like three light, three shadow, and just introduce like one or like two new class talent combinations in it. That sounds fine. Yeah. Especially if some of them are young. Six would be okay. I was initially a little bit concerned about them outpacing like the Living Legend system where like you're adding heroes faster than they're getting removed, but I don't think that's inherently bad. I think you, they, they want the format to grow. That's why they have a format that's not intrinsically rotating. So like, I think adding more than like two or three heroes is okay. And I think six sounds like it's not too much and they could reasonably support it because if four of the classes already, I guess like if, if they do a light warrior and if they do another shadow brute, then it would be kind of weird because those two aren't living legends. So it might just like push them out of play if they're better than Bolton and Levia. But I think like six total, including the light illusionist and the shadow rune blade. And then just like maybe two new combinations or four new combinations of light shadow and different classes. I think that would be doable. And I think they could support that in a set as big as dust till dawn is maybe it would be like, kind of like, Arachne or even Icelander when Icelander came out in the the set before she was real. I think Everfest is that when Icelander came out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be it might be like Icelander where she doesn't actually have the support in the cards that she's supposed to have, but they could put those that many heroes in if they wanted to. Yeah. But what's interesting when you say that though is like there's three I know it, it's at least Oldheim and uh Briar, Briar are like super close to living legend now. So that's another two heroes leaving the format, talented heroes as well. And uh certain somebody's won a bunch of tournaments with Icelanders, so she's like over halfway there. And she's just chilling at six hundred. Nobody's nobody's gonna get any more points for Icelander so I can play her again later, right? Everybody stop mm-hmm. playing Icelander until I want I mean everybody's that's and like <laughs> that's just and that's if you think about it, that's with what we have now with only one PT and only one road to nat season or one nat season and one worlds if next year they go back to two pts nats and worlds i mean that's going to be an increased clip at which heroes are going to start rotating right yeah that's true and i think like i'm really hoping that in the next couple of years they increase the number of callings i think that's like something that the community has been kind of like consistently asking for is more callings in this area more callings in this area and it's like well you can't well, currently they're not adding more callings. So like if they want to add more callings to one area, they have to take them away from another area. But I think like the real answer is just, we need more callings. We need more than 12 callings a year or however many we're getting. 
you're calling on LSS to make more callings. Yeah. And that, that would either result in more living legend points being given or them reducing how many points callings give. So yeah, that's fair that I think it might be, I think they might just reduce how many living legend points a calling win gives, but I don't know. I guess we'll see more callings is good. Yeah. Well, Michael, (laughs) um, we did it one year. Any hopes for the next year on the podcast? Anything you're looking forward to? Uh, hopes, dreams, ambitions, anything like that? The website. I'm very excited that or it's very been ready in development for, for three months that I haven't be, touched because I'm <laughs> any day you want to take that over, Truly. buddy, it's all yours. Oh no. Please. no. <laughs> I got a, I got a pool plate over here and you have a misty, so Oh yeah, I there was something I wanted to say too. Uh so I realized while I was looking at the episodes and I'm like, yeah, it's 52. We started around May of last year. It's May of this year. I'm like, hey, wait, we started like right after Austin was born. So Austin's also going to be 1 year old by the time this episode goes live. So happy birthday to Austin. Yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> I like him. I'll probably hang out with him for at least another year, so we were at dinner today (laughs) and i was like austin can you say reverse osmosis i'll just ask him to say because he can't talk yet so i'm like i'll say like (laughs) austin can you say onomatopoeia and he and i I, he just looked at me he goes (laughs) (laughs) just like he was already (laughs) sick of my shit (laughs) i'm with you there buddy get used to it buddy (laughs) (laughs) He's got a long life ahead of him. <laughs> All right. What about you? What are you looking forward to over the next year? Um, hopefully making more good content. Hopefully more people liking our content and the people who do like our content keep liking our content and also don't get sick of me like my son is now. Or you, I guess. Maybe <laughs> no. people get sick of you winning all the time. Um, I gave him a break. Yeah. Hopefully it's not too long of a break. That's fair. Yeah, we'll have to see how uh, national seasons go. And then um, we'll see if you can win Worlds TBD. Uh, that'll be a pretty good <sighs> tournament, I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Just, just uh, Like I said, when we started the episode, I never thought about it much when we started the podcast because I take things uh, pretty much as they come in my life. And that's how I'm going to keep taking the podcast going forward. As long as it's fun to do, as long as we keep enjoying it and other people keep enjoying it, I'll probably keep doing it. So, Sounds like a plan. That's my thoughts. Awesome. Well, on that note then, everybody. Oh, wait. Actually, it's the, it's the one-year anniversary. Do you want to do the sign-offs? Do you want to do the one-year anniversary sign-off? Have you ever done a sign-off? I'm, uh... Oh gosh, have I done a? I think you've done one. Maybe you've done one. Sounds right. Sounds right. All right, everybody. Go ahead and sign us off, though, buddy. Go for it. (laughs) Always remember when you are turning one year old to mind your manners. We'll see you next time. Bye.